Worship, of course, is about our encounter with God and our encounter with each other in the presence of God. So whatever we do is under that framework. It's not just saying, oh, you have a wonderful song, let's go with that. It is about how do we learn that song? How does that song become part of our life? How does that prayer move within me and change who I am? All those kinds of things shape us now. So the biggest resource we have is the people who come. Today's guest is the Reverend Terry MacArthur, who at the time of our recording in June 2020 could be found at the English-speaking congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Geneva as the Minister of Music and Choir Director. Terry is an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church and served congregations for seven years in Michigan and the United States. Eventually, he was appointed as a worship consultant for the World Council of Churches in Geneva, connecting Terry to creating liturgy and music that welcomes all people and traditions to a common worship of God. In this episode of the Intentionally International podcast hosted by Anitra Kitts and Matthew Lafferty, we explore how to cultivate patterns of worship in English-speaking international congregations that draws upon liturgical and musical traditions from around the world. Terry has a compelling story to share about how congregations can sing and pray not just for the world, but as he says, with the world. How is a congregation like the congregation in Geneva also a place where people can feel like they're at home? Part of what's powerful is that the congregation serves as a uh, maybe even a type of oasis in the midst of living cross-culturally, being having some type of immigrant experience, whether it a temporary situation or, or permanent. What helps people feel at home in our place, in the midst of languages that are different, that songs that are new, is we still follow a kind of organized Lutheran liturgy. We have a kind of time of greeting. We have the service of the word. When we are meeting, we have communion. So uh, there is a kind of ongoing structure that we follow week upon week. And within that basic structure, we are free to change things. We are not changing things all the time by any means. Uh, that's too upsetting for people. But this structure holds. Uh, and that, that provides people know where we are even when we're doing things differently. And English becomes the commonality. We're in a French-speaking culture, so English becomes, it's a place to speak English together. We have some things in liturgy that, where we kind of share. If I sing Amazing Grace, that probably people feel at home from all over the world. But if I sing something in a language, well, this week we will sing in Kiswahili. Uh, it's kind of leftover from Kenya. Last week we were praying for Kenya. And so we're using some songs again. We'll sing in Kiswahili. I, I sing Kiswahili really badly, but just that I try and that a people try helps somebody whose language is Kiswahili feel for a moment that they are included. So maybe the, the question for me is not, when do you feel at home, but when do you feel really included? When somebody hears somebody read a text 
and all of a sudden it's their language. They hear their language in a situation where they almost never hear their language. And all of a sudden somebody's reading an important text in their language. They feel included in a way. They would have felt at home if that was in English. But there's a, a much more radical inclusion comes, somebody bothered to, to find my language. Somebody bothered to sing a song I knew from back home. I, I, so I tell the story about the Malawian woman. Uh, many years ago, we sang a song from Malawi where you jump. It's a jumping song. And we were jumping uh, as part of the song. I love to get people to do that. It's very hard on the wood in the church. As the, the floors really go up and down. Uh, and the Germans in the coffee hour down below get really nervous that we're going to come through. But one time we sang that, and there was a woman across the room. I didn't know her. She was a guest. And she just started to jump. And she really jumped. And then I knew. And sure enough, she was from Malawi. And she never dreamed that she would come to Geneva and we would sing a song that she knew in her language. And she jumped. It was a great gift to us. We'd never seen people jump like that before. <laughs> I mean, there was a, a, a wonderful joy in that. She was just sparkling in our midst. Just to, to pull this out a little bit more, I was at a conference a few years ago where a woman from Italy was working with uh, Methodist and Wesleyan congregations who were doing a lot of intake of refugees out of Methodist congregations in Africa. And she talked a little bit about the traditional power structures that, you know, wealthier white congregations are handing out the blankets and the food boxes and it becomes a hierarchical relationship and it's about what does the established congregation have to offer the incoming uh, needy group and she said that things really turned around for her when they started re-checking in with that assumption that says wait god sent you to us what are you bringing that we need to be paying attention to and that sounds a lot like what you're already working on, but how does that, how do you react when you hear that? Well, I think that's right. That the folk out there are not consumers taking in what we offer them. They are the biggest source of gifts for worship that we have. Those folk are the blessing that God gives us. Some of them we feel are more blessing than others, but... Uh, nevertheless, they are the folk God has given us. And part of our goal is to learn what gifts are there and to use those gifts and to lift those gifts up. Now, that's totally countercultural to our society, which says we need to make stars out of everybody. It's not about lifting those people up. It's me being the star. I, I, I think that's, but I think in church, we, we go the other way. We see who's out there and find all the gifts we can find and try to find ways to lift them up so they too are vital parts leading our congregation. That includes children. They are not just people sitting there that we are forming. They come with gifts. They are blessing. 
and to, to learn how to do that. And I do think that upsets our power structures. And I think that's right. When somebody from Africa teaches us a song, they are the teacher. I am the learner. So the, the power structure is reversed at that point. And we need to learn how to do that more and more in our world. How to keep, how to put ourselves as the ones learning, not the ones uh, controlling or demanding. Now we have to be careful. Even in this way we can say, we can keep a lot of power even in that way. I go back to my Amazing Grace story. No, 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 I don't want to learn Amazing Grace. You've told me the wrong thing. No, no, uh, give me something else now. See, we can control even in that way what we learn and what we receive from the other persons. No, 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 you're from Africa. You're supposed to give me an African song. Don't give me a Western hymn. That doesn't count. You see how quickly we can become controlling. So the process and the, to learn the humility of learning is really an ongoing grace, I think. Uh, it does not come easily. Liturgy is also something that um, is, is your passion. And I, I, I've been in settings where you've written a liturgy here when we, we invited you to, to do teaching here for our annual conference two, two years ago. Um, uh, it, it clearly is, is, is a gift of yours. How, how might, in terms of liturgy, how does that play into or is a part of this vision of traditions use, using experiences, using material from, from other, um, other places as part of worship? Or, or maybe it's not. Maybe I think that's, I'd be curious to hear how, how that gets worked in or isn't worked in and, and, and why. Probably we don't do as much of it as I think we should. We are uh, probably too much me writing because I love to write and not enough um, involving other people in that part of the shaping of the service. But we do have times, uh, particularly during uh, Advent Christmas and Lent Easter, where we work very hard with worship committee to use symbol, image, gesture, and quite often those come from people of other cultures. And we will develop a whole season around those, sometimes with greater or lesser <laughs> success. I would say the failure rate of those things is quite high. So if you launch into this kind of liturgical experience, you need to be prepared for lots of moments when people say, I just didn't understand what that was about at all. I can even bring an example. Early on, uh, uh, we had a person from the Indonesia. So she was really onto coconuts. So why don't we do coconuts for Advent? So we did. We did a whole Advent season using coconut as a central image. And she had all kinds of explanations. So we explained the coconut. I mean, it's even a symbol of fertility. It has kind of womb-like thing. The seed is in the middle. We passed a coconut around and people prayed with the coconut from house to house. Uh, it was quite an expensive, uh, not expensive, uh, extensive 
it was quite an extensive working with the coconut. We had it there every week, etc. But what we learned was every time we're explaining the coconut one more time. Here's the coconut. It has these gifts. The Asian people use every part of it. Da, da, da. It's a fertility symbol. Da, da. So we were constantly explaining the coconut. And of course, a symbol like this begins to work when people bring their own meanings to it. And when you no longer have to keep explaining, the meanings have gotten added in and they become multiple and expressive for people with what they bring to the symbol, not what you say, this means that. Uh, as long as you need to keep explaining something, you realize it hasn't worked. It's when you can stop explaining and let the symbol work for people that you realize that something stronger has gone on with them. And so the coconut, uh, I mean, we never did the coconut twice. One, one advent of coconut, even though it brought another culture to us and, and asked us to think outside fir trees and Christmas tree ornaments, we never quite wanted to go back and say, let's do the coconut again. Now, if I were in the South Pacific, then I think I would rethink whether I wanted to do the coconut. I might do the coconut all the time because then I don't need to explain anything. It's obvious, relatively obvious. So it doesn't always work. Most of the time, we are using multicultural music following the prayer cycle. And most of the time, we are looking for images that are quite now rooted somewhat here, but rooted in our daily life. So those things help us more, I think. But sometimes surprising things. The last Advent, we did an insect hotel. We, were, we had Bethlehem B&B &B on the insect hotel. Now, I don't know if that's multicultural or not, but it's outside the norm. Uh, <laughs> and it worked quite well. The kids loved it. Okay, things like that. And you had King Harold as a murder hornet? <laughs> no, we didn't. But it would have been a good idea. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm hearing you saying is that to, you, to have the freedom to do this kind of work, you need to have the safety of failing, or you need to have a, you need a safe place for both the leadership and the congregation to fail. And sometimes it's hard to find in a congregation. Yes, that's, that's quite crucial. So that means it takes a long time. If one tries to decide this in one year, forget it. Uh, and also, I mean, you build up a kind of thing. If it fails this year, well, it'll be better next year. Uh, and if it's never like, well, we're going to be doing coconuts forever after more, you know, I'm getting out of here because I've had it with coconuts. No, next year we'll be on to something else. And so people then, if, if they have some moments where good things have happened, then they allow you the room to fail and knowing that another time is coming. But this takes a long time and it takes a lot of trust. So part of the process to get to that point is a lot of listening, a lot of exploring what is possible. 
One of the things I think is really important to congregations is to start with the idea, we're going to learn, folks, and how wonderful it is to learn. Because part of the problem with worship sometimes is we think we know what this is. And in fact, we don't want to learn. We want it to be like it always was. So one of the challenges is to put in front of folks, yes, there are, there are expected ways that God meets us. And we sing a favorite hymn and God meets us. We feel something strong in that in us. But there are unexpected ways that God meets us too. And sometimes those unexpected ways are, is where the really new life is. Because it doesn't point back to an earlier memory it points forward to what might be. And I think that is a difference, that's a different mentality. Worship as learning, not worship just as rehearsing what was. So the trick is to get people into learning mode. Mm -hmm. And that, that it's wonderful to learn. Well, of course, I think it's wonderful to learn. <laughs> uh, I think when I stop learning, I'm dead. So I find the joy in that. So I think also part of it is to express the delight at the new thing and to rejoice in that when it happens. This learning is best when it comes from the people that are there. So if I have a song and it's taught by somebody who sings that language, then also it's not just me as the leader teaching. I'm also learning with the whole congregation. And it's Penuel who's teaching us her song. And Penuel has a moment then when she's not just sitting there, she's a teacher. That gives her status. That gives her a place that she maybe didn't expect here. She, she teaches us her song. And then when we keep doing that, we keep singing her song. It's not MacArthur saying, well, we need to learn Swahili today because this would be a wonderful thing for you to do. No, it's we're learning Penuel's song and we're singing with her and we're singing with her people. And I think then that provides a, a kind of space for learning. There is another episode with Terry in our two-part series on singing and praying with the world. Thank you for listening to the Intentionally International podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, do so now. Also, give us a five-star rating, which helps others find our podcast. Visit our blog online at iipodcast.org. I am the Reverend Anitra Kitts, and with the Reverend Matthew Lafferty, we produce this podcast, Intentionally International. Thank you.